incriminated. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this week not to talk about one film, but many films. Because we are going to talk about Arnold's Lost Projects. Yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, these films have never happened. And that's going to be a big part of the debate. We're going to go through the many films Arnold was connected to during mostly his time of heightened fame. And the, how they fell apart and why and, you know, should they have happened? Did we all lose out as an entire human race in not seeing these movies? Luckily, this is the only episode that we've done so far where you actually don't need to go and watch the film because there literally is nothing for us to spoil. And we didn't watch the films either. Well, I watched them in my mind. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we did, in certain cases, we, we've seen some of the movies that wound up being... That wound up emerging from the earlier Arnold versions. So we can kind of comment on those as we go as well, I think, for a few cases. For sure. Yeah, so why don't we just start with one that, I don't know about you, but when I was a young Arnie fan, I heard nothing but endless chatter about a movie called Crusade. I did hear about that one. Uh, I think there's been a lot of press on this one. I've... And just a fair warning, some of the films that we're going to talk about here, or non-films that we're going to talk about here, uh, are nothing more than an asterisk at the bottom of uh, <laughs> uh, an archived GeoCities page. <laughs> some of them, but, but this one isn't. This is one that actually had some legs at some point. We searched it out using Hotbot, and we are <laughs> confident that this information is correct. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> using our AOL dial-up disk. <laughs> So, well, tell us about Crusade. Yeah, man. Crusade was a, a project that began sort of development in the early 90s. Um, it was being overseen by Paul Verhoeven, who was going to direct it, and he had a script, or a first draft at least, by Waylon Green, who wrote The Wild Bunch, or co-wrote The Wild Bunch. And this movie would have cast Arnold as a peasant thief who joins Christendom's quest for Middle Eastern domination. Along the way, he realizes that the Muslims in Jerusalem are actually worth saving and fighting with, so he turns the tide against the Christians who want to invade. Now, I think a lot of people would assume, well, they were going to dull this thing down a bit, because obviously, this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle in the 90s. This has to be accessible to everyone, right? Uh, not so much the case. Paul Verhoeven said, The story of the Crusades is the murderous attack of the Christians on the Arabs and the Jews. And so... He, you know, Paul Verhoeven, a director known for sticking to his guns along the way, was planning to do the same here, and I think maybe that spells why the movie didn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. There was a lot of big names attached to this project. Yeah. Uh, it was reported that Jennifer Connelly was on board, Gary Sinise, Charlton Heston. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Jennifer Connelly. She was going to play Layla, a Sarkin princess, and uh, Gary Sinise would have been the villain who was Count Emmick. And the evil half-brother of Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. And I, they definitely have a resemblance. You can definitely see it between the two of them. They're like twins. With Charlton Heston as a scenery-chewing pope. Yeah, Pope Urban II. <laughs> Thank you for your specificity. You're welcome. Um, this movie was being developed by Carol Coe. 
And Carolco, you know, they would end up uh, pushing Terminator 2 through development. But at this point, they were a little concerned about the budget, which Verhoeven wanted $100 million. And they thought, that sounds like a questionable bet. I've, I've actually read a little bit about, uh, although it is secondhand, it is hearsay, mm-hmm. from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was apparently in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently when Karolko executives asked him for a guarantee on the budget, he got up and walked around the room animatedly gesticulating, saying, guarantees don't happen. And if anyone promises a guarantee, they're lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the way to fund a $100 million motion picture, apparently. Yeah, and basically Carolco freaked out because they felt like $100 million was doable, but they could not go over that. And they were worried that this movie would exceed that budget because it was so ambitious. The ironic thing is that... Uh, Verhoeven, of course, uh, went on. I mean, he had a little blip with uh, Showgirls. Mm-hmm. But uh, he went on to do Starship Troopers, uh, Basic Instinct. Hollow Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Anyways, he had some success. Whereas Karolko, rather than giving their $100 million to him, uh, gave it to Rennie Harlan uh, and his wife, Gina Davis, for the blockbuster spectacular... Cutthroat Island, which ultimately we've talked a little bit about Cutthroat Island on uh, the show before. More than you would ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bankrupted Karolko uh, weeks or months before the movie was ever released. I think it ended up costing $115 million as Rennie Harlan was importing crates of V8 so that Gina Davis could uh, <laughs> maintain her delightful skin tone. And before this movie ever hit the screen, it was bad news, and then it grossed somewhere around $10 million, making it one of the biggest box office failures of all time. I mean, when you bank on Matthew Modine, you're not banking on much, I guess. <laughs> and Gina. And Gina. Um, you know, she did The Long Kiss Goodnight later down the road, you know? She yeah. had some uh, good movies. They did, and you know, so... Kurolko, they lost more than a hundred million dollars on this movie, which yeah. at the time that was big. I mean, it's big now. I don't know if any movie has been quite as big a disaster as that ever. That's an excellent question. We'll I have to know. we'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah, I'll get on that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely some one, some definitely some big movies like The Postman. I know lost a lot of money too with uh, the Kevin Costner movie, but. Um, it's interesting because this movie was basically killed at that point, but there have been rumblings in the years that followed that of, oh, you know, maybe we could get Crusade going again. But Verhoeven has said now he needs $200 million to make this movie. I don't think a Crusades-era action movie with Arnold is the best financial bet you can make for $200 million nowadays. But I think the more interesting question is, in the year of, you know, the early 90s, mid-90s, was this a good bet? I think it would have been a great bet. It would have been an <laughs> awesome movie. You take the guy who did RoboCop with the guy who did Conan and you put them together. Sure. How could that not, not be a winner? Is the subject too heavy, though, for a mainstream audience? Maybe. I'm always wary about when these when you hear about these movies that didn't get made. Um, have you ever seen Hodorowski's Dune? Yeah. The documentary about the greatest movie that was never made, and they right. they go over it, and it just sounds so great on paper. Yeah. And then ultimately it was uh, David Lynch that made Dune, and it was not a very well-received movie. Right. 
but it really wasn't that different. Um, but people still yeah. seem to talk about Hodorowski's Dune as if it would have been really something to behold. And I got to wonder with all of the, I mean, really all there was was a script treatment. Yeah. Uh, and a few names attached. So how much of this movie would have hit the cutting room floor? Would Verhoeven have filmed uh, a two and a half hour epic that would have been chopped down to, uh, you know, a, a hundred and ten minutes and... Would there have been some sort of production problems that bloated the budget out to massive amounts where it could never be profitable no matter what? Like, all these things could have happened. And so it is a big question mark. But do you, like, really feel this is, a, you know, on a scale of, let's let's just do this, on a scale of one to five, how big a lost opportunity is Crusade for you? Seems like a five to me. This one is definitely up there for me. I think I would agree that this is a five because... Paul Verhoeven, at this point in time, he's coming off RoboCop and Total Recall. He's fantastic, and he has such great subversive ideas. I think at the very least, if this movie hadn't performed well, I think it still would have been pretty good. And I think it would have had interesting ideas that we would have talked about since. Like, I could feel, at the very least, that, it, that this movie would have turned into a cult classic that had genuine value. It wasn't an ironic cult classic. Yeah, this is definitely a five. I would have loved to have seen, just from Arnold, like an epic. Arnold never got to do his epic film. And that's something you see a lot of the kind of the big movie stars get to do at some point. is like some bloated three-hour <laughs> period piece <laughs> epic. Preferably with swords and sandals, which this one would have had. And it's kind of a bummer because Arnold's not going to get that nowadays. You're not going to see him in a $200 million, $100 million epic probably nowadays certainly not as a leading man no maybe as a supporting character and i feel like this was his chance and i just would have loved to have had that in his filmography to cover and to talk about now i think that is the biggest lost opportunity because you know had arnold not done for example the sixth day my life would have gone on you know i don't feel like it would have been a massive loss to the entirety of the canon of schwarzenegger but I feel like the the loss of Crusade means something. And I think it would have been really interesting. Because we never got to see him work with Verhoeven again after Total Recall. I agree. And it would have been nice to have seen a movie. Because we'd obviously seen him do the sword and sorcery type thing in uh, the two Conan movies and Red Sonja. Yeah. Uh, it would have been interesting, at least, to see him in a little bit more of a, a high-concept medieval vehicle. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um... The cast was interesting, too. I mean, I'm not sure how I would have felt about a love interest between Schwarzenegger at that point and Jennifer Connelly, who I think was, like, 21, <laughs> 22. She's pretty young. That would have been a little creepy. <laughs> I was medieval times. Yeah, things, well, that's things, true. You're things, actually accurate there. Things, things were, in fact, 21, you're basically an old hag at that point. That's it, very true. In the 1100s or whenever that was. Yeah, it's true. Gary Sinise would have been interesting because I think he can play villains really well. And I think casting Charlton Heston is the most fascinating part. Because of the fact he's so associated with, you know, Bible epics like Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur. Uh, he did a movie called El Cid, which was, I believe, in the Crusades as well. I may be incorrect on that, but I think so. And um, it would have been interesting to have this very dark, pessimistic take on the Crusades with Charlton Heston in it. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been just fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So... We'll, we'll chalk this one up to one that we really wish we could have seen. I'm watching it right now in my mind. Right. And it's spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Charlton Heston is a good uh, jumping off point for uh, another Lost Arnold project where he was uh, attached 
for a short while to uh, a Ridley Scott version of I Am Legend. Right. Which, uh, of course, Charles Heston had starred in one of those versions being the Omega Man uh, and the other one uh, being Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Right. Have you seen e either of those? I've seen both of them, yeah. And what are your thoughts? Uh, the Vincent Price one is pretty cheesy. Yeah. Uh, it's not great. Uh, he's kind of miscast. And the Omega Man is a little bit better. Uh, of the three I Am Legends that were actually made, I prefer the the will smith version uh it just just for the first half of the film it's spectacular and it just does suffer from a little bit of a weak third act and really poorly rendered cg creatures yeah um i actually i like the vincent price one i think it's a fun movie it's not a classic by any stretch i think i like it more than the heston one i found the heston one kind of dragged and wasn't the wasn't the most interesting take on the material um, the Will Smith one, though, I remember watching it in theaters. For the first maybe half hour, 40 minutes, I was convinced I was watching a masterpiece. Like, I am seeing a great, great genre film here. Right. And then the monsters showed up, and we're doing, like, CG cartwheels and things like that, and I was like, oh, no. And yeah. it just fell apart for me from that point forward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one that I have uh, mixed feelings about just for that reason. It's got such a strong first half and such, Amazing a, work. And such a weak second half that it's it's very jarring in some ways. But I am legend, of course. You are legend, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I could just go around talking about I am legend all the time. It, the story is, of course, about uh, the the last man on earth as far as he knows fighting individuals who've been infected with a vampire type virus uh and trying to cure that disease or kill them all in whatever version you happen to be mm -hmm. watching or reading uh early on uh mark uh protosevich i hope i'm saying that right who wrote the cell yeah he wrote the cell uh he, he was he was on board and and did a uh, uh a bit of a script for this and uh, I guess Ridley Scott was interested in having Schwarzenegger on board as uh, as Doctor Neville, right? The uh, protagonist. He apparently wanted to film this as uh, a bit of a a silent film, or more or less of a silent film. And I think Warner Brothers they got a little bit spooked. Apparently, they were coming off of a couple of failures. You mentioned the Postman. Uh, Schwarzenegger was in one of those. Batman and Robin was a bit of a bust. Right. And they figured that maybe making a, a hard R, high concept, mostly silent Schwarzenegger vehicle was yeah. not the best thing to throw money at at the time. Though it's interesting that when they do finally make that Will Smith version, the first section of that is pretty much silent too. So you can see that like germs of ideas definitely filtered down into that Will Smith version. I have a suspicion that the two are actually fairly close in terms of what they would have wound up being. I think Ridley Scott would have done more interesting things with the monsters than what uh, Francis Lawrence did with the Will Smith version. But I think the movies, in terms of the story structure, are somewhat similar. Yeah, it would have been interesting because Ridley Scott is obviously just so good with monsters in confined spaces and the use of light and darkness to create a feeling of tension and horror. We saw mm. that in uh in the alien movies sure legend <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
And it would have been very interesting to see that. And it would have been interesting, I think, to see Schwarzenegger especially played as a bit of a, a silent character in, in the film as well. Yeah, because, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's not necessarily famous for his ability to deliver long monologues in the Shakespearean style. I actually think he would be fantastic as a silent actor in a movie like this because he communicates so much through his face in all of his movies, no matter whether he's talking or not. And I think he would actually be fascinating to see take on this material. When we talked in the past about some of the movies where Arnold plays more um, depressed or downbeat characters. Right. And I think he would be able to communicate a lot with a little in a movie like this. It would have been interesting to see him do this material. Because I think when you hear the name Schwarzenegger attached to the I Am Legend story, you immediately think he's going to be doing the Charlton Heston version, you know, where he's really over the top. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that would have been the case. I don't think you would have gotten a Omega Man clone. I think you would have gotten a completely different animal, but just with having an iconic male action star as your center. I agree. I mean, Schwarzenegger's strength has always been his on-screen presence. We talked a little bit about that in our Red Heat episode that we did a little while ago, where he was he was more or less a silent character for a lot of that film as well. And it would have been, I think, really interesting to see him in this. Even just taking Ridley Scott out of it and taking whatever script they had out of it. I think it's interesting just to conceptually put Schwarzenegger in Will Smith's role right. in the I Am Legend movie that was actually ultimately made. Would there have been an issue in having an actor as formidable physically as Schwarzenegger facing off against the, these creatures, the vampires or hemocytes or whatever they were going to be called in the final version, in that you don't necessarily think Arnold could be beaten by them? I don't think so. I, I I am legend. I mean, it's got a classic kind of zombie trope to it where the, the issue is not so much that the uh, monsters are stronger. It's just that there's so many of them and so few of you. And ultimately, if they'd kept the major twist of the story, Arnold actually works really well for that twist. It does, yeah. I don't know if they would have kept it, but I feel like they probably wouldn't have. I don't know. And that the character is basically the boogeyman to these vampire creatures. Yeah, you think if you were uh, a race of sun-starved... Emaciated. Uh, emaciated creatures, uh, who's scarier than Arnold Schwarzenegger as an uh, ass-kicking doctor? Definitely, definitely. And what I found actually interesting was this movie had the plug pulled on it for Warner Brothers. They were you know, obviously trying to salvage themselves a bit after two bombs. And so they pulled the plug on this movie as well as the Tim Burton Superman Lives project. And so you have two very high-profile star vehicles going down at the same time. And both of them, I think, have had a bit of a life in pop culture just being talked about because their development was very public. And so there is that what-if question going on. And there is a documentary that's actually really interesting about the Superman Lives project. I would love to see one on the, on the Arnold Schwarzenegger I Am Legend, or Crusade for that matter. Yeah, where do you think this ranks on your your 1 to 5 scale of how much would you like to see a Schwarzenegger I Am Legend? I'm going to go a 4 on this one. And that has a lot to do with the versions of this story I've seen, the three others, and that I feel less confident in this material being great, because I've yet to see a film version that I thought was great. I agree with you. I'd I'd be excited to see this movie, uh, especially at the time that they were talking about having it made. 
but I'm just not as excited about it as I would be for uh, a medieval epic like Crusade with Paul Verhoeven behind it. And you were a fan of the I Am Legend story by Matheson, right? Yeah. Yeah, and do you feel like it is material that could make a great movie, or do you think they're always going to undercut it? I think if you look at all three versions that were actually made, I mean, they all have moments of, uh, if not greatness, at least goodness. Yeah, definitely. And if you, I think, cast right and direct right... Uh, it's a very flexible story, obviously. All, all three screen versions are very different from one another. Mm-hmm. That you could absolutely make a great um, a great movie. Like we mentioned earlier, it is a bit of a shame that the Will Smith version didn't have a bit of a better third act. Yeah. Um, but And monsters. <laughs> and monsters. But if it had, I think it would have been one of those um, movies that was was truly great. Yeah, no, I can agree. I remember Michael Bay was in talks to take over the project probably after Schwarzenegger and Scott left, and that never went anywhere either. I don't think he was the guy to make that movie either, though. I don't think so. I think if Michael Bay took over I Am Legend, uh, you'd have giant robots, uh, (laughs) you'd have ninjas, the monsters, instead of being uh, emaciated vampires, would be uh, exploding, (laughs) trash-talking cyborgs. That pee on people. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But who knows? Right. <laughs> maybe, oh. my, maybe Michael Bay needs his chance to do an art house I Am Legend. <laughs> maybe just mentioning Tim Burton's uh, Superman, maybe that's a, a good opportunity to segue into another superhero epic that just wasn't made, which was James Cameron's Spider-Man, which is one of the most <laughs> <laughs> rumored, and it's, 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 it's in the Hollywood annals of urban legend for sure. Yeah, I remember reading so, so much about this project in the 90s in Wizard Magazine. (laughs) They were, like, doing fan casting as to who they would like to see. I remember DiCaprio was who they wanted for Spider-Man, and I believe, to the best of my memory, Nikki Cox was who they wanted as Mary Jane. Which, I I don't remember anyone else. Those are the two I remember. I think Edward Furlong was batted in there at some point. That's who who James Cameron wanted. Definitely, yeah. DiCaprio was who they wanted ultimately as Harry Osborn in the story. But uh, it was going to be Edward Furlong as Peter Parker. Can you imagine DiCaprio playing second banana to Edward (laughs) Furlong? Hey, if James Franco can do it. (laughs) To Tobey Maguire. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, Schwarzenegger was attached at some point to play Dr. Octopus, uh, which ultimately went to Alfred Molina in the Sam Raimi version that was eventually made. But from what I've read of it, James Cameron's vision for this script was bordering on insane. (laughs) It's nuts. This was going to be a Carol Co. production. This was when Marvel was really kind of in trouble and was just selling off the rights to its characters like crazy. So Caracol locked up the rights to Spider-Man pretty easily. And what did James Cameron want to do with this property? And this is James Cameron coming off of Terminator 2, so he's definitely got some power. Well, he wanted to make an R-rated version where, from what I can tell, Spider-Man was going to be a little bit of a pervert. Yeah. There was going to be like a peeping Tom, Mary Jane undressing scene. There was going to be a seduction scene where they have sex on top of a bridge after Spider-Man explains how certain species of spiders bind the legs of their mates with silk. And I have read the script treatment for this film. You've actually sat down and read it? I, years ago, years and years ago, probably in my early to mid-20s. 
and he actually webs Mary Jane's hands down. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go, indeed. Uh, I, I actually remember on that note, there was supposed to be a scene uh, where Peter Parker woke up and his bed was covered in uh, a sticky white substance. Yes. Uh, so, needless to say, I don't know what James Cameron was going through in his life at this time. <laughs> But it's a weird choice to come off of Terminator 2 and want to do a sexually charged R-rated Spider-Man. Especially Spider-Man in particular because he's such a kid-friendly superhero. Of all the heroes, I mean, there's a lot of Marvel characters who would open the doors to an R-rated James Cameron joint. Like, you know, the Punisher or Wolverine or something like that. Spider-Man is like the hero to children everywhere. It's like doing an R-rated Casper. Yeah. No, no, uh, that's actually a pitch I have. <laughs> but what's interesting is that Carol Co. was only willing to give him $50 million to do this movie. And $50 million for a superhero movie in the 90s, I mean, the Batman movies were definitely costing more than that. You know, the Tim Burton versions, um, as well as Batman Forever. So I wonder how cheap this production would have looked. And the thing is, Cameron was going with some pretty ambitious ideas because I know that Arnold Schwarzenegger is connected to the Doc Ock role. And this is where it gets really confusing. Mm -hmm. Because there was an earlier treatment of the movie that had Doc Ock as the villain. I've actually read bits of that where Doc Ock has a not a catchphrase, but like a quirk that throughout the movie he he keeps saying, according to the script, is tee hee, tee hee, tee hee. <laughs> and so we, you would have had Arnold saying tee hee a lot. And that has nothing to do with the comics. I don't know where this comes from, but James Cameron, I guess, just envisioned, or someone, whoever handled this first draft, felt like um, this was something Doc Ock should be doing. And I feel like. Arnold doesn't make sense in this role, but I understand why James Cameron would look at him. But what's weird is that it was Doc Ock he was attached to, because the script treatment, the one that's talked about the most, is this, like, 80-page document. And the villains in that treatment are the Sandman, who we would see in Raimi's Spider-Man 3, and a version of Electro, who is renamed Carlton Strand, and referred to as Strand throughout the script. And if you're going to do Sandman and Electro in a movie... Those are not cheap villains to pull off on a $50 million budget. Right. And so I don't know what a Sandman would look like, especially considering I'm guessing Cameron would have wanted to use similar tech as the T-1000 just a couple years earlier. I'd imagine so. He probably had his finger into some pretty high-end special effects at the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I can totally understand why James Cameron would walk away at that budget. But there was some casting, you know, you referenced... Furlong and DiCaprio as Harry Osborn. Uh, Drew Barrymore was also strongly considered to take on Gwen Stacy. That probably would have been an alright choice. She would have been a bit, really good MJ too as well though, mm -hmm. I think. And Arlie Ermey as J. Jonah Jameson. That would have been perfect. I actually think that's fantastic casting. I agree. That would have been interesting, but uh, ultimately the money wasn't there. $50 million was about half of what uh, Cameron needed to realistically get this thing made. Uh I guess just keeping with the theme that we have here is how would you have liked to have seen this on your on your one to five rating scale? How how much do you miss not seeing Schwarzenegger as Doctor Octopus in a James Cameron Spider Man film? He would have been a good Sandman as well. I think he would have been a great Sandman. So I could totally see him crossing into if that had been the final project. I could totally see him winding up as Sandman as well. Um, but how do I feel about it? 
I guess I have two answers to this. 1990s Cam, who has a dearth of superhero movies to watch, would have loved this. And I love James Cameron. I would have been beyond excited for this Spider-Man movie. Now, 2018 Cam, who has more respect for source material, reads the breakdown of what this movie would have been and thinks it's a nightmare. <laughs> and feels like it would have been a project that a lot of people would ridicule in the years following as very misguided. Because to me, R-rated Spider-Man just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it is a little bit puzzling. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm I'm kind of hovering around. While I would be interested to see what this would look like, uh, it's not the kind of thing that I get super excited about. The, the yeah. fact that this project failed and ultimately the rights reverted back to Sony, we got the... Uh, really excellent Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And uh, about that time, I guess we're seeing some of the Batman and X-Men movies really starting to kick off, which opened up the way for uh, the Marvel movies that, that were ultimately made. You see James Cameron go on to do Titanic and ultimately Avatar, so I don't think he really needed this movie in his career. And... We, we also go, go to see Schwarzenegger, who ultimately does go on to play uh, a comic book villain in Batman and Robin, which was uh, a, a total disaster, a notorious disaster, and one that still held up as, as a horrible performance and a horrible film. So I don't know if this would have been more of the same, plus uh, a little bit of a career killer for James Cameron. I don't know if we need a low-budget R-rated Spider-Man with James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I agree. So on a scale of like one to five, what do you think this is as a loss? I'm putting this about a about a three. Two and a half, three. I'm going to go two, I think, because I think it would have been such a fundamental misunderstanding of the material that it would have been, I think, pretty awkward to watch, uh, especially coming you know later down the road. And I think that's one thing James Cameron's movies have done, for the most part, is age very well. But I will say... The cam of 1994 would have had this as a five <laughs> because he was weeping over it. He was reading endless coverage about this project in Wizard and Cinescape magazine, and he wanted nothing more than the James Cameron Spider-Man movie. But I think it's more interesting as a curiosity. And yeah, as you said, those Sam Raimi movies, especially the first two, I am absolutely in love with. I think Spider-Man 2 is one of the greatest superhero movies across the board. And I think better than every Marvel Studios film. <laughs> I know. Bold statement, but I'm well, willing to make it. Well, the mailbag's going to be full this week. And I think, don't you agree, Alfred Molina was a better Doc Ock than Schwarzenegger would have been? It's hard to tell. Alfred Molina did a fantastic job. Um, but without having Arnold Schwarzenegger be in that role, it's it's tough to tell. It's tough to know what kind of movie it would have been if Schwarzenegger would have been hamming it up or playing it a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more low-key like Alfred Molina did. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So <laughs> I'm running out of segues here, but we did talk about Arlie Ermey, so it, it does bear to mention that at one point, and this is one where I, <laughs> I'm a little interested, <laughs> uh, Schwarzenegger was approached by Stanley Kubrick to play the role of Animal Mother in uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Which I actually don't have much information about this, uh, except that Stanley Kubrick apparently thought that Schwarzenegger would be perfect for this role that ultimately went to, I think, Adam Baldwin. Yeah. And uh, and that's about all I know about it. Yeah, Arnold just said, I didn't have time to do it. So what could have been, 
Um, I mean, Full Metal Jacket is definitely a classic. Do you think this is a huge missed opportunity, or do you think, you know what, the movie turned out fine without him? I think it's a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, okay. This is one where Schwarzenegger, at this, I guess at this time, was playing a lot of leading roles, very few supporting roles, but Animal Mother was not a dialogue heavy role and i think schwarzenegger with his physique and the way he carries himself on screen would have been absolutely perfect for this role and i think that having schwarzenegger in a kubrick film uh like full metal jacket which i think is an absolute classic it's one of the if not the best war movie ever made uh would have been really really, really something to add wow on. you're putting it that high in the war movie pantheon huh uh, i am yeah that's interesting i go to bat for spider-man 2 you're going for full metal jacket <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fascinating um i'm more of a saving private ryan guy i guess myself i like saving private ryan as well i think full metal jacket's a better film okay interesting no what about apocalypse now uh they're pretty close okay okay um yeah this one is an interesting one in that the final project is so good that I can't feel... I don't feel like this was a broken opportunity having Schwarzenegger walk away because the movie turned out just fine. But I would have loved to... You know, you've really convinced me on this a bit. I would have loved to have seen a Stanley Kubrick movie with a Schwarzenegger performance in it. I would have loved to have seen how Stanley Kubrick would direct him over the hundreds of takes he would make him do walking through a doorway. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And obviously, neither... Stanley Kubrick, nor the film Full Metal Jacket, nor Arnold Schwarzenegger suffered from having this not happen. They all went on to do other things and do quite well. Yeah. So it's not like if Schwarzenegger had signed on, this movie would have been way better or Schwarzenegger's career would have really taken off uh, to a bigger degree because I don't think either of that's possible. Right. But it still would have been very interesting to see how that would have worked. So on a scale of 1 to 5, on the lost opportunity scale... I'm going to put this at a 3. Okay, I'm going to say the same. Because the movie's so great that I can't weep over it too hard. Well, you know, speaking of war, Tony, and one of the central <laughs> messages of, of Full Metal Jacket is war is hell. And, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to enlist in another war movie called Sergeant Rock for Warner Brothers, based on the comic book property... This uh, news item was something I found in a 1988 piece in which Arnie mentioned it while he was on the Red Heat press tour. And he said, I'll be an American of German descent. We will start shooting in September for Warner Brothers, likely in Spain. I don't know anything more than that. What the hell happened to Sergeant Rock? I don't know. I'm not familiar at all with the comic book Sergeant Rock. I don't know whether it's... A funny comic or a serious comic. I don't know anything at all about it. I think it's it. fairly serious. Uh, well, then you know more than I do. I think it's a fairly serious, like, military combat comic book series. With a kind of larger-than-life hero of Sergeant Rock. Yeah, I've got to really wonder how much of this was actually in any kind of pre-production. And how much of this was uh, someone mentioning Sergeant Rock to Arnie at a cocktail party and then him just shooting his mouth off in an interview. Because uh, you, you actually sent me the link. I had no idea. I'd never heard about this before. Yeah. And I, I tried to dig a little bit deeper and find anything else about it. I could find nothing. Right. I know. It's fascinating. So Arnie was convinced he was shooting this movie in Spain, but... <laughs> Maybe the note actually just said, pick up the dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? So on a scale of one to five, I don't want to spend too much time on 
1988 Sergeant Rock on a scale of one to five. I'm going with one, but how about you? I'm going to go with three. I think this could have been a super fun project. I think this could have been so fun to see Arnie in sort of a larger than life, kind of dirty dozen-ish action franchise movie. I think that, that is not what the article you sent me said. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the actual comic book property. Okay. It sort of has that exaggerated World War II combat fantasy element. I think it could have been a blast to see Arnie doing that sort of material, playing that all-American, I guess of German descent, <laughs> asterisk. In Spain. In Spain. <laughs> Hero on like a comic book adaptation. I just think that could have been really fun in Arnie's hands. Okay, so you know he would have been smoking stogies the whole movie, right? So, and it would have been like his opportunity to evoke John Wayne, who is kind of his predecessor in the iconic action hero world. This John Wayne was so famous for playing men of World War II. I would have liked to have seen Arnie have that opportunity. So I'm all about Sergeant Rock. I'm giving it three. Okay, so you're rating Sergeant Rock at the same level as the Stanley Kubrick missed opportunity. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> We're going to have to agree to disagree. I don't care at all, but it is a good opportunity. I feel like we're really stretching our segues here, but this one is a good one. I'm going to move it into The Rock, which... Uh, Sergeant Rock? <laughs> no, just The Rock, uh, which Schwarzenegger was uh, attached to the 1996 uh, Nicolas Cage film. Right, he was originally offered the Cage role. Which is hard to believe. You look at... <laughs> you look at Nicolas Cage in that movie. Nicolas Cage at the time was not an action star. That was the point of the movie. I know, and and you're kind of convinced that he's a hapless uh, desk jockey the yeah. whole time, who's you know on the verge of maybe getting killed. I don't think that would be the case if Schwarzenegger was in this. I don't think Schwarzenegger uh, at this point in his career knew the meaning of the word vulnerable. Do you think the character still would have been named Stanley Goodspeed if Schwarzenegger had played the role? Probably. It's kind of in line with a lot of the characters Schwarzenegger has played. It's, it's so nerdy sounding, though. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> now, the story behind why this didn't happen is, like, amazing. Schwarzenegger says, uh, Don Simpson, who was partners at the time with Bruckheimer, um, he said, Don Simpson, or he said, was totally stoned. And I put that in quotes, that's Schwarzenegger's words. Came into his trailer with an 85-page script, basically making no sense, and showing the script to him, but not letting him read it. And he said it was covered in handwritten notes. And he said he was making absolutely no sense. It was an unfinished screenplay. And he was like, sure thing, come back to me when you have a finished screenplay. And Don Simpson left, they moved on, maybe Bruckheimer took control of the project, Took it to Nicolas Cage. Schwarzenegger was gone at this point. But I think this one was for the better. Yeah, I feel like uh, you hear about these Don Simpson-style stories. Yeah. I, I feel like it was probably a, a, an interesting time to be alive in Hollywood. Yeah, and Don Simpson died fairly young, uh, largely due to lifestyle choices. It was definitely a crazy time in Hollywood. I agree. Yeah, and Don Simpson, I mean, he was a, he was a top guy. I mean, he had Top Gun. He had Beverly Hills Cop under his belt. And I think Schwarzenegger probably, yeah, I'm with you, made the, made the right choice to not just buy into uh, an unread script presented to you by an intoxicated 
person. Definitely, definitely. So on the scale of 1 to 5, Cam? On the scale of 1 to 5, I'm going to give this one a 1. Because I think The Rock is great. I love it. Michael Bay did a bang-up job. And and uh, Nicolas Cage is amazing in it. Yeah, I agree. I find it hard to believe that Schwarzenegger would have done a, a better job than Nicolas Cage uh, in this movie, ultimately. So I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say it's a 1. Okay. And I think that given at the time Schwarzenegger was... In the middle of doing Commando and Raw Deal, Predator and Running Man, I think it was probably the right choice as well. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So going from Nicolas Cage to a caged ape. (laughs) (laughs) No stretch there. (laughs) No stretch at all. We're going to go to a movie that I think would have been interesting regardless of whether or not Schwarzenegger was attached to it and regardless of whether or not it was watchable, which is Oliver Stone's Sequel to The Planet of the Apes, Return of the Apes. Now, Oliver Stone, love him or hate him, he uh, certainly has no shortage of interesting films under his belt. Yeah, they're either really great or they are awful. And often people have different opinions on which ones are awful and which ones are great. (laughs) That's right. And he had attached on Terry Hayes, who, uh, as a scriptwriter, who's done things like Mad Max 2 and From Hell, which... Would have been interesting in and of itself. And ultimately, this movie had some legs to it. It went fairly far into development. Yeah, yeah. Um, this project is kind of bonkers because Oliver Stone comes on board and they ask him, you know, what did you think of the Planet of the Apes movies, the previous ones? And he's like, I thought they were all awful. And this is uh, this is an Oliver Stone who's just coming off of Natural Born Killers, by the way. Right, yes. And basically his pitch was... And his pitch was amazing. He said, what if time were not linear, but circular? And there was no difference between the past and the future. What if there were discovered cryogenically frozen Vedic apes who held the secret numeric codes to the Bible that foretold the end of civilization? Hard to believe this one didn't get made, eh? (laughs) And he wanted to make a bloody, violent, gory ape movie. And the, the script that they began to develop is... A little different than what that pitch was. It was essentially that humankind couldn't produce new children. The movie would have opened with a dying infant. So, boy, really talk about stating your purpose right up front. Um, And Schwarzenegger would have played a doctor who discovers there's a mutant gene in human DNA and goes back in time to basically get rid of this mutant gene. Winds up, of course, on the planet of the apes. And gets involved in like a revolution between a character named Aragorn, who is sort of standing up for humanity. Never heard that one before. Yeah. So he helps Aragorn escape from the ape prison or whatever. And they end up going to war with a villain named Drac. And it would have had moments that evoke some of the other like blockbusters of the era. Obviously, you're hearing Lord of the Rings names in there. But, like, there would have been a sequence that would have been very similar to the movie Aliens, where Schwarzenegger would have been in this giant sort of vehicle called a claw, which was sort of like the power loader in Aliens. And he would have protected this young girl who was spotted to be the first human. I have no idea what that means, but her name would have been Eve. Basically, this movie sounds start to finish 
totally insane. And I think that once you attach Arnold Schwarzenegger to this, it moves from insane into totally surreal. Yes, because his big catchphrase would have been, saving this girl Eve in this thing called a claw, his, he was going to yell, keep your hands off her, you dirty ape. In pure Schwarzeneggerian delivery, I am sure. And ultimately, the movie would have ended... Um, with Arnold holding up the dead body of Drac, who is cut in half in front of the apes. So I guess one half in each hand. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, they would have been on the beach, and Schwarzenegger would have been up like up on the beach building the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> this, <laughs> this movie... I don't know what to think about this movie. It sounds... Like, I mean, I'm, I think Oliver Stone was making some lifestyle choices at this point in his <laughs> career as well. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but, um, this, this movie script sounds like the rantings of a madman <laughs> rather than anything that had any hope of ever getting actually made. Yeah. It's, I'm surprised that it went as far as it did, actually. Did you read the story as to why it didn't happen? Uh, I did, but why don't you uh, illuminate us? So, the movie had an exec producer attached named Dylan Sellers. And Dylan Sellers was very obsessed with baseball. <laughs> and he said, What if our main guy finds himself in ape land, and the apes are trying to play a game like baseball, but they're missing one element, like the pitcher or something? And when our guy comes along, he knows what they're missing, and he shows them, and they all start playing. Kind of like the Flintstones. This story is so crazy that you're like, how true can it be? But there is the famous, famous clip of Kevin Smith telling the story of working on the Superman Lives project. And how John Peters, one of the producers attached to that movie, insisted there be a giant spider. And that really caused the project to fall apart. I think Dylan Sellers was kind of torn from the same page of that book and was obsessed with putting baseball in this movie, he was responsible for firing Terry Hayes off the project, the writer, and, you know, they never found another writer. Arnie left, uh, Oliver Stone left, Philip, uh, Philip Noyce was attached for a little while to direct, and then he left. And I remember this project also kicking around for a number of years. I remember hearing mm -hmm. buzz that Michael Bay, another person who was attached to I Am Legend, was potentially going to do Planet of the Apes for a long time with Schwarzenegger. That never went anywhere at all. I think that was just rumor more so than anything. And basically the project, I think, bounced from person to person, rumor to rumor, until it ultimately obviously landed uh, in some form or another uh, in Tim Burton's lap. And we got the Mark Wahlberg. 2001 yeah Planet uh yeah 2001 yeah. yeah and it's interesting because if you, that movie does have a couple little bits that i think did evolve from the drafts of this movie just the sense like he saves aragorn from this prison camp and takes with him aragorn's daughter and a bunch of the the, the you know the tribes people and in that movie mark Wahlberg saves chris christopherson and chris christopherson's daughter who I think was played by Estella Warren, and a bunch of his friends. So you can see that there's elements there that I'm sure wound up in continuing through the development phase, but I think the Tim Burton project was quite different than this, obviously. Yeah, I think the original one has been left in the 80s under a giant pile of cocaine. <laughs> That's right. The Tim Burton movie. Um, 
pretty messy. Tim Burton was actually brought on last minute as well for that one. That one also went through a number of directors. But what did you think of the Planet of the Apes movie they eventually churned out there? It was okay. I thought it suffered from being uh, slightly incomprehensible. Yeah. As opposed to totally incomprehensible and baffling <laughs> the way I think the original treatment would have been. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, now in terms of would this have been interesting to have Schwarzenegger in an Oliver Stone uh, Terry Hayes, Planet of the Apes. Where's where's the one to five scale on this one? Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan. I actually, you know, we are recording this podcast episode with a poster for the Planet of the Apes marathon staring down at us. It has a giant ape on it pointing at us saying, Go Ape. It's very unsettling. <laughs> yes. Um, I absolutely loved the recent trilogy they put out, The you know, beginning with um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and ending with War of the Planet of the Apes. I love the original films. And so, I mean, this is, to me, a lost opportunity. I'm going to put this one at a four because I think even if it had been bad... It would have been more interesting for, than the Tim Burton one. I'm not a fan of that one at all. I think it's actually really dull. I don't think this movie would have been dull. I think it would have been crazy. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, I referenced wanting to see Arnold vote John Wayne in, like, Sergeant Rock. I would have loved to have seen him do the Charlton Heston kind of performance, iconic role in a Planet of the Apes movie. So, Return of the Apes sounds absolutely insane on page. Although I would imagine a lot of the Apes movies would on paper as well. Uh, but I would have loved to have seen this movie uh, as long as there's no baseball in it. I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to give this one about a two okay. in terms of missed opportunity. I think that while it's one that, like you say, on the page sounds really interesting, I just cannot imagine Oliver Stone and Arnold Schwarzenegger teaming up on this script and having it turn out anything other than an absolute mess and i think it's probably a good thing for schwarzenegger that he did not get involved in something like this ultimately although i do confess that <laughs> if this movie were made i'd be very curious to be proven wrong don't you want to see this movie though with I, oliver, I, oliver stone coming off natural born killers i do want to see this movie i just don't know if they should make this movie so from a selfish perspective i'm with you it's maybe a four out yeah. of five from uh, a feeling of um, care for the people who could have made this movie, sure. I just don't see it as a good idea. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Speaking of productions like this and the influence that may have been involved in their creation and the possible impact on cognition and memory. This that those... is the most confusing segue. <laughs> Let's just get right into Total Recall. Okay, Total Recall. <laughs> you know, we missed a hell of a segue. Jumping from uh, The Rock to Stone. <laughs> Oliver Stone. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Feel free to cut me off at any no, point. Yeah, here. that's great. So, Total Recall 2. Yeah, when we talk about how um, Return of the Apes sounded incomprehensible, Total Recall 2. Wow. Total Recall 2's development is really, really, really insane. Probably the most insane of any of the projects we're going to talk about in this episode. There's actually a book called Tales from Development Hell, which chronicles this movie. And it's worth, I think, checking out. Also, if you want the short version, go to io9 slash Gizmodo's story on this film. Because it's very long and detailed and gives you a lot of depth we just cannot cover. Because frankly... It covers various iterations of the script 
and I can't even understand them, so much less communicate them to all of you faithful listeners. Yeah, but to make a long story mercifully short, because it is quite it is quite insane, and, and, and we encourage you to check it out. Maybe we should put a link in our... Definitely. It'll be in the show notes on the blog. Yeah, the uh, that's at arnigen.com. So, um, basically, to make a long story short, obviously, Total Recall was a big budget, uh, big success for Paul Verhoeven and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It ended with him uh, starting the Martian Revolution and was kind of wide open for a sequel. But this was at a time when sequels were not the way they are now, where franchises are basically set up and sequels are intended to be as good or better than the original. This was at a time in movie making, with few exceptions, sequels were generally lower budget, lower quality, and designed more to cash in on the success of the original one and wring the rock dry and, and get as much money out of a franchise as you could until no one wanted anything to do with it anymore. Yeah, it really feels like George Lucas and James Cameron were kind of the two that were really trying to buck that trend. Or even Spielberg with the Indiana Jones movies. But for the most part, sequels were definitely bad news. Or Francis Ford Coppola. Who? <laughs> what did <laughs> yeah. he ever do? <laughs> yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> but um, this movie basically made tons of money. Everyone loved it. Uh, action fans loved it. Sci-fi fans loved it. It appealed on a lot of different levels. And the natural thing was to talk about Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger doing something else together. Uh, but no one really was too interested in a sequel until... Yeah, in the early 90s, a writer-director named Gary Goldman purchased the rights to Minority Report, the Philip K. Dick story. And he wanted to make this into a small movie that he was going to write and direct. And of course, if you don't know, Total Recall was based on another Philip K. Dick story. Right, yeah. And Gary Goldman wanted uh, his friend Paul Verhoeven to produce because he thought that would help him out, get him you know, financing and all that sort of thing. And Paul Verhoeven looked at the material and thought, this might work as a Total Recall 2. And so um, he'd worked with uh, Goldman on a draft of Crusade as well as um, Basic Instinct. And basically, after a little bit of soul-searching on Goldman's part, he wasn't quite sure he wanted to hand off Minority Report for a big franchise sequel as opposed to his own smaller film, but he ultimately chose to. But this is where the first of many problems started. The original Total Recall screenwriter, Ron Shusett, had a contractual right to do the first draft of any sequel to Total Recall. And so he had to be brought in and... Arnie was attached at this point, but Carol Co. had gone bankrupt. And so the chances of them greenlighting a, you know, $100 million Total Recall sequel were pretty shaky. And so ownership went to 20th Century Fox. You know, this is where it gets really muddy because Paul Verhoeven goes off into Showgirls and 20th Century Fox no longer wants him after Showgirls. And Jan de Bont, who wound up doing Speed, was attached to it. And it just kind of collapses from there. Eventually, this movie does wind up being an original film under Spielberg. Yeah, it's, it is funny because this basically at some point the production of this film split and you wound up with the, um, the Tom Cruise Spielberg Minority Report movie yeah. and also with the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie The Sixth Day, which is basically uh, a Total Recall sequel in... in everything but name and listen to our six day episode for more talk on that because we definitely reference that um but uh basically the gist of the movie was 
Schwarzenegger was going to be witnessing the independence of Mars and then wake up back in the recall lab where he would see his wife Lori, played by Sharon Stone again, and the doctor would be there. And it would be a whole head-trippy journey. Again, please read the details because they are really all over the map and really confusing. Um, but a lot of execs felt it was like one of the best sci-fi scripts they'd ever read. And Arnold would have ultimately battled a, an army of clones of his wife. Uh, so you would have seen Sharon Stones in the dozen, as well as he would have battled his own mother. Yeah, it would have been basic instinct, 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 instinct. <laughs> And we would have seen the independence of Mars and the uh, presidential election of uh, this ruler who would have helped Mars. And then there would have been a quick glimpse of the doctor from Recall in the crowd questioning once again, is this all a dream or is it not? Setting up maybe Total Recall 3, I don't know, which would have had 100 Sharon Stones. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, the movie ended up collapsing. And then at a certain point, they just figured it was going to be dead because they made this Total Recall 2070 TV show for Showtime. And they thought, okay, that's the end of it. Did you ever watch that TV show? No, I never saw it. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but ultimately, the rights to Total Recall were bought by Dimension, who, under Bob Weinstein, that was his company for putting out genre films. And then they were going to put one together. They were contacting Arnold. They had writers working on it. There's a whole other draft that uh, is also really wacky, and this project just never went anywhere. It bounced around from directors. They didn't want Verhoeven at all. They wanted people like um, uh, that had worked with Miramax, so from that stable of directors. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek was attached. Which is such a bizarre choice. I guess he'd just done First Contact. Yeah, and that was a hit movie, so he was attached, and it kind of died around the time he was attached. And he confirmed it in 2000 that this movie was done, Miramax could have never really afforded this movie. They were dealing with some flops. And then also, Gangs of New York and Chicago had gone way over budget. So, Total Recall 2 was cursed forever, but it kept going. It was a little train that could, but ultimately couldn't. It's it's basically a little miniature snapshot of what development hell looks like. Totally. And you know what? You could easily make a documentary on the development of Total Recall 2, because the story is bizarre and goes all over the map. Mm -hmm. So on on the one to five scale, Cam, how much would you have liked to have seen a, a Total Recall 2 with Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger? It's funny because I know we were really going to bat for like Crusade, seeing Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger together. I don't know that like Total Recall 2 interests me. Seeing, you know, an army of Sharon Stones and whatnot. Um... I mean, I think Verhoeven probably would have done some cool things, but I, I did like Minority Report, which Spielberg did. I think that turned out really good with Tom Cruise in it. So I can't say that it's a lost opportunity because I think that was awesome. But as a Total Recall 2, I find this one really hard to wrap my head around because the script is so confusing. I'm going to say maybe a 3. I think it's potentially would have been cool, but I don't feel like it's a great lost project that I weep over. Yeah, I don't know that I ever really needed a sequel to Total Recall. I don't know. How do you feel? I think this is a five for sure. Interesting. Okay. I think Total Recall is one of Schwarzenegger's best. I think it's one of Verhoeven's best. Uh, and it is, like I mentioned earlier, maybe one of Schwarzenegger's most 
intellectual movies at the same time just having so much cool stuff in it and i just kind of want to see more of it especially based on another philip k dick book or philip k dick story because uh i love philip k dick i love paul verhoeven or at least most of the stuff he's done i love schwarzenegger and you look at what ultimately came out of that minority report i like i think it's a pretty good movie um the Six Day, we talked a little bit about this on our Six Day podcast, uh, what that movie would have been like uh, if it had been maybe five years earlier with a director like Cameron or Verhoeven or even Spielberg or something like that attached and what could have been done. Because as it stands, The Six Day is uh, an entertaining, functional, largely forgettable movie. Yeah. But there's just hints of what could have been in there and it, it makes me kind of want to see more. Yeah, I get that. Maybe I'll feel differently when we do our Total Recall episode of this podcast. Maybe I'm going to be like, oh my god, why did we miss out on Total Recall 2? But uh, yeah, I think the story of the development is much more interesting than maybe the movie would have been. I don't know. It's so weird. But how would you have felt, let's say this movie doesn't happen with Verhoeven, but Frakes directs it with Schwarzenegger. How do you feel about it then? Do you feel it's a lost cause? I feel less good about it. I think it would have the same issues that The Sixth Day had, which is um, a high-concept film in the hands of a journeyman director with probably not the same amount of money. Right. Yeah, I mean, Frakes went on to do, like, Clock Stoppers and Thunderbirds. Yeah. (laughs) That speaks for itself. But, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to raise my rating to a four on this one. Wow, that was easy. I'm just thinking about it more and more. I'm like, man, Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger made such a winning combo. Any opportunity, we should have been grasping at it. I think, I will say, Crusade gets the five, because I think it's more interesting to me than Total Recall 2. But, you know, Total Recall 2, I'm sure, would have been something. Which is more than you can say about The Sixth Day. Speaking of Verhoeven, and in danger of, you know, using another lame segue, I I know that Schwarzenegger was briefly attached to some version of Robocop. I couldn't really find much on that. No, no. Which leads me to believe that maybe it was just, again, one of those cocktail party things uh where they took a meeting yeah exactly so but uh you know it's worth a rating would you have liked to have seen schwarzenegger in a robocop movie sure i mean peter weller was so great that i don't feel we lost anything i'm in the same boat i'm giving i'm I'm giving it a two and moving on to something more interesting yeah i agree too you know we were talking about a total recall 2 and sequels to iconic arnold schwarzenegger movies why don't we talk about true lies 2 which almost happened yeah, according to Tom Arnold, it might still happen. Yeah, Tom Arnold. Apparently his career now is exclusively pumping True Lies too. That and trying to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, this was a movie, I mean, True Lies was 94. Yeah. And uh, was a huge hit, made uh, over $350 million at the box office. for. So it was a big hit for both James Cameron and for Schwarzenegger. They had a history of pretty much everything they did together was a big success and made tons of money for everyone involved. Yeah. So why not True Lies 2? And I I wasn't able to find too much about what kind of ideas they were batting around. Uh, I would presume that it would tie into the end of True Lies, which kind of set it up for a sequel. Right. But, But this is a time where... Uh, this is pre-GoldenEye, so James Bond was in a little bit of a hiatus with uh, after License to Kill. Yeah, they was... were in legal mumbo-jumbo. like They were tangled up for years. Not to mention critical mumbo-jumbo, because License yeah. to Kill was uh, not well-received. Right. But ultimately, you'd assume that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Schwarzenegger would return for more 
spy-like adventures in the vein of James Bond kind of stuff. I feel like Tom Arnold would have come back too. He might, assuming he wasn't too busy with other projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, ultimately, this is also around the time where Cameron was starting to develop uh, Titanic. That project obviously took a lot of his time and took a lot out of him a lot of his energy a lot of money that he probably was able to to dig up from hollywood and it just it just never happened and they were talking about it for years and years and years and then the 9-11 attacks happened in 2001 and uh cameron has basically since that time said he's not interested in in doing a movie that features Islamist terrorists anymore. Right. Although you could easily do a True Lies movie without that. Yeah, for sure. I just think he's he's had moved on to other things. He wasn't interested in the political message that True Lies had to offer. And, right. And so it just, it just never happened. Uh, and I don't know how into development it got, except for this script treatments that Tom Arnold had drafted. <laughs> <laughs> In a fever dream. <laughs> on, a, on a napkin. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one was always something that I really was hoping for when I was younger. I really desperately wanted to see a True Lies 2. Um, ultimately, James Cameron went to Avatar Land, and he's never coming back. So Allegedly. In 2010... They announced that a spin-off TV series was in development. Nothing has come of that since. Although, with TV shows like Lethal Weapon and stuff like that on the air, or Frequency, based on movies, <laughs> it makes no sense to me why a True Lies TV series hasn't happened. So, I, I imagine it's only a matter of time till that does, at some point, wind up on TV. But, True Lies 2, how big a lost opportunity was this for you? I'd like to take a page out of your book, which is maybe in the in the mid to late 90s, I would have said this is definitely a 5 out of 5. But these days, I don't know if the world has really missed not having a True Lies 2. Uh, it would have been interesting to see. Um, would it have been good for Schwarzenegger's career? We've been tracking his trajectory, and part of me wonders if True Lies 2 would have done wonders for him. Yeah, who knows? I mean, if Cameron was involved and Jamie Lee Curtis was back and Tom Arnold had a bigger role... <laughs> starring role <laughs> starring role um then maybe but um he obviously went on from this i think he did junior and eraser and then after that time there was, was a little bit of a downward trajectory until he went into politics right you know i'd say i'd give this maybe a a, a two or a three i'm gonna go i think a three because i would have really liked to have seen it but i think the journey of those characters was covered really, really well in the first one. Like, James Bond movies don't have character arcs, by and large. Some of the Daniel Craig ones, yes, but for the most part, they don't. Whereas, like, the story of True Lies is so tied to that, you know, secret life and revealing it to his wife and all that sort of stuff that I'm kind of like, I don't know that I need to just see a straight-ahead action movie of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis you know, going to battle. Like, that doesn't interest me that much. And I don't know that there's that interesting a hook. I mean, maybe if James Cameron had a great hook, he would have made it. Maybe that's the problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. But it's something I would have definitely liked to have seen at some point in time. Okay, well, there's not a lot of the big projects that we have left on our list. So... I got one I want to mention that's not on your list, actually. And that was actually James Cameron related, so it's a perfect segue. So I'm going to throw it in now. Okay. And that is um, James Cameron, when he was making Avatar, it was actually strongly rumored that Arnold Schwarzenegger would be playing the villain of the first Avatar movie that ultimately went to Stephen Lang. Oh, really? No, I've yeah. never heard that. And Arnie was in politics at that point, and he was busy. 
And so that was obviously not the case. How do you think that would have impacted the movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger's career? I think it only have been a good thing for Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. Um, I think it probably would have been a good thing for the movie as well. Although Lang did a did a fine job. Uh, I know Avatar in the years since it's released, people get kind of cranky about it sometimes. I, I love the movie. I thought it was spectacular. <laughs> Well, you got four more of them coming. <laughs> well, we'll see how those go. But, uh, I mean, that would have been interesting to see. I don't know if anything really turns on it, though. Yeah. Um, but it's always good to see Schwarzenegger and Cameron working together. I would have liked to have seen him as a villain, though. Because I like I know he played a villain in Batman and Robin, but it's such a cartoon of a villain. I would have liked to have seen him as more of a fearsome antagonist, like Stephen Lang in that movie. I think that could have been really cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And it would have been maybe a better pairing... Having Arnie and um, Sam Worthington in Avatar, then Sam Worthington and Arnie in Sabotage. We'll find out, I guess, maybe in the future. Yeah, I think that's coming up pretty quick for us. Yeah, yeah. So, let's move on from colorful space aliens to another colorful space alien in Predator 2. Yeah, this is one where obviously, uh, similar to what we talked about in uh, True Lies and Total Recall, there was some level of appetite to get Schwarzenegger... Uh, involved in this and he was just too busy at the time he was doing other things and uh, it just never happened obviously they got Danny Glover we actually have done a podcast episode on Predator 2 uh, thinking it would be good to do the tie-in it is ultimately our least downloaded episode so, oh my yeah so far so we encourage you to go back and listen to it we <laughs> we review Predator 2, because <laughs> we're pretty sure you haven't yet. We're hoping to cross it over with our Busey Geddon <laughs> spinoff podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, Schwarzenegger was very outspoken that he didn't like the premise of Predator 2, having this whole thing in a you know urban war zone in the future, uh, and then there was salary issues apparently. So you know it didn't happen, and Gary Busey wound up playing basically the character or the role that Schwarzenegger would have played in Predator 2. Yeah. So Apparently they ended up being, uh, if, if the reports are to be believed, $250,000 is what would have got Schwarzenegger in uh, Danny Glover's place in that movie. Was it stupid of Predator 2 not to pay it? I think it, it's got to be. I mean, yeah. I, I can't remember what Predator 2's box office was, but you, you look at Predator and you tie Schwarzenegger to that franchise again and, you know, you just... Look at all the sequels to Predator that have come out since then. you got to believe that that would have paid itself back a uh, hundred times over by now. So on a scale of one to five, Predator 2? You're talking the same movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? Yeah. I'd give that a four. Really? Holy crap! <laughs> I was going to give it a two. <laughs> Fine, well... <laughs> I don't know, because I feel like if Arnold signs up for Predator 2, there's a good chance he's not doing Total Recall. I never thought about that, but yeah, absolutely. I want this on the record. Tony would have preferred Predator 2 with Arnold over Total Recall. <laughs> That's a total lie. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with a 2 on that one. So I think maybe rather than segueing between all these other smaller projects, we can just talk a little bit about them and because uh, there's not a lot of information out there about them. Well, I've got a great one. People look at uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and they go, man, that man is towering. But thinking of another tower, it makes me think of Die Hard. <laughs> There's a reason why I wanted to cut out these awkward segues, and I'd like to thank you, Cam, for highlighting that reason. Yes. Yeah, Die Hard was apparently originally supposed to be a uh, sequel to the movie Commando. Uh, ultimately, for whatever reason, it was turned down, retreated, and obviously went to Bruce Willis as 
the every man that Schwarzenegger was going to play, <laughs> I've got to believe that uh, that it was the right call. That we needed a Die Hard with Bruce Willis more than we needed a Commando Two with Schwarzenegger. And you know what? I totally believe they approached Schwarzenegger because I know they approached everyone for Die Hard. Everyone. Frank Sinatra was approached for Die Hard. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, but yes. that, that is maybe that's a five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> He would have sung on the soundtrack, you know. But I believe Stallone was approached. Like, every action hero. I think Charles Bronson may have been approached. Everyone in Hollywood was approached. Every male actor in Hollywood was approached for Die Hard before Bruce Willis got it. Because they didn't want him because he was the guy on Moonlighting. So, you know, believe me. You could do, you know, Stallone again and be talking about Die Hard. Or Bronson again and be talking about Die Hard. It's across the line. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I'm kind of a one out of five on this. I'm a five. <laughs> no, this is totally a one. This is the epitome of a one. Yeah. So uh, another movie that uh, Arnold never sunk his teeth into was <laughs> a movie called uh, Sweet Tooth, where Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, has the mantle of the tooth fairy passed on to him by his alien father, who happens to also be the... The Tooth Fairy. Think of, you know, a Santa Claus, but with a Tooth Fairy theme. Uh, I'm just going to cut to the chase and go right for the zero out of five on this one. But you may have a different opinion, Cam. Well, I mean, given how the movie The Tooth Fairy starring The Rock turned out, which I would have to believe evolved from this screenplay, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to give this one a one, possibly a zero, <laughs> if we can give zeros. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger... <laughs> He was definitely at a point where he was opening himself up to, like, wacky comedies like this. I don't know that this would have fared well. Because I've seen that poster of The Rock with, like, the fairy tale wings. I do not want to see Arnold running around in tooth fairy wings. Uh, you know, despite The Rock's successful career since then, it, it this is a movie that has career killer written all over it. Totally, totally. Uh, another movie... <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna avoid any more segues. Another movie he was attached to do was one uh, apparently called the Two Million Dollar Tip, where despite the protestations of his wife, he tips a waitress one half of a lottery ticket, which turns out to be a winner. Uh, sounds like it didn't go any farther than that brief sentence. Well, uh, the movie did though, because the movie wound up being made into the Nicolas Cage vehicle. It could happen to you with Bridget Fonda. Oh, were those the same films? Yeah. I didn't realize that those two were connected. Yes. They were based on a real-world story of a guy who did that. He was a police officer, I believe, in real life as well. But, um, I don't know. Would you have wanted to see a romantic comedy with Schwarzenegger and Bridget Fonda splitting a lotto ticket? Rosie Perez played the wife, I believe, in the movie. That's right. I I, uh, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the Nicolas Cage one. I can't imagine I'd be a bigger fan of the Schwarzenegger one. So I'm going to go one out of five. I've seen the Cage one. In fact, I have it on my DVD shelf. I enjoyed it when I saw it. I thought it was like, you know, a sweet romantic comedy. Um, but uh, you have a lot of strange selections. On I do. DVD shelf. I do. Definitely. But I can't help but wonder if Schwarzenegger is in this movie. Does it bear any resemblance to the version that wound up with Nick Cage in it? I don't think so. I think they would have pumped this up with some sort of unnecessary action scene or something. Um, I'm kind of in the don't know, don't care category. I have I have no interest in seeing Schwarzenegger in this film at all. Uh, the missed opportunities, I think, are negligible. 
good on Nick Cage and Rosie for getting it made, but... <laughs> but not so much Bridget Fonda? <laughs> yeah, not so much Bridget. So, I miss Bridget. I wish she hadn't retired. Um, I'm going one out of five. One out of five for me as well. And then I think lastly, we just have Strange Days, the Catherine Bigelow movie, which wound up being made with, uh, is it Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett? Yeah, I think uh, Dennis Miller was involved in it as well. <laughs> That's your go-to, Dennis Miller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hot, right before he signed on to Bordello of Blood. <laughs> yeah, uh, Strange Days. I've never seen it, have you? I have. It's it's a pretty interesting movie, but... Uh, I've heard great things. I've just never seen it. It is also on my DVD shelf, unwatched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd recommend watching it. Uh, I don't know if Schwarzenegger would have been a good choice in this movie. It's kind of got a weird 1999 sci-fi vibe to it. Would it have made a good companion piece to Total Recall? Uh, it it could have. I, I, I got to believe, especially with Catherine Bigelow at the helm, it, it would have been better than maybe like the sixth day. Right. So that would have been interesting. But um, ultimately, I don't know how much Schwarzenegger was actually in talks for this. Yeah. Um, but I'm willing to leave it at that and give it maybe a two. I mean, Catherine Bigelow was married to James Cameron, so I'm sure she had a social relationship with Schwarzenegger. She was probably like, hey, I'm working on this screenplay or developing this screenplay for a movie called Strange Days. And Schwarzenegger was like, sounds good. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where the story came from. Yeah. um, There is one movie left. Oh, is there? That we haven't done yet. And it's one, actually, I'm interested to know what you think about this, where uh, apparently Woody Allen at some point had approached Schwarzenegger with uh i'm assuming he approached Schwarzenegger. i don't actually know who approached whom but i woody i want to be in your movie <laughs> but i can be neurotic nerd <laughs> why don't women like me <laughs> so i don't know who had approached whom but anyways uh the pitch was that schwarzenegger was going to be in a woody allen comedy where he was starring as sigmund freud and, oh my god. And Woody Allen was going to play Carl Jung in what was going to be a, a TriStar masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know anything else about this movie, but can you imagine this movie working in any way? You know what? Woody Allen's made a lot of good movies, so I think the chances of it being good are maybe a little over that 50% mark, because I know he's had a lot of duds as well, but... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it probably wouldn't have been as serious as the uh, Young versus Freud movie Dangerous Method that David Cronenberg did, which was pretty good. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm going to give this one like a two. I'm just kind of a little bit interested, but I don't think it's a great loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it would have been interesting uh, if Schwarzenegger had done Twins, obviously, which is uh, was a huge hit. You know, a mismatch comedy types deal. So I'm with you. I'm going to give it a two. Uh, I'd, I'd like to. <laughs> I would like to know what this would look like, but I'm at the same time not super interested in watching it. Ay, a cigar is sometimes just a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. And I guess maybe lastly, we should just touch on two projects that have been ongoing. Nothing's happened with them. They may wind up belonging in this category of lost projects. We don't know for sure yet, but King Conan and Triplets. Or Legend of Conan, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, as it's sometimes pitched as. Uh, and who knows? I, I mean, I gotta believe that uh, in my heart, it's the only thing keeping me going. Right. That King Conan or Legend of Conan, that there's still some small chance 
that this will happen in some form or another, even if Schwarzenegger is not in a leading role, that he has some kind of an opportunity to pass on the Conan mantle to, to someone else. Other than Jason Momoa? Well, he wasn't involved in, in that Conan movie right. at all, right? So right. Um, I got no no beefs against Jason Momoa. It would have been nice to 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 have that opportunity uh, to pass on. Maybe we'll review the Conan reboot at some point on this podcast. Triplets, on the other hand, with Eddie Murphy and Danny DeVito, I gotta believe that this is never going to happen. <laughs> and, and 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 I don't think it ever should happen. I I I cannot see that being remotely successful for anyone involved in that project. Not unless they uh, bring Tom Arnold on board. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I 100% believe there will be another Conan movie in the future. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I am curious whether they use this kind of milius developed version or what, but I would not be surprised if Schwarzenegger is in the movie in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like how Charlton Heston was in the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, even if it's just kind of a baton passing moment. Um, triplets, I think we should all pray at night that it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's going to be terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know who's still talking about this in Hollywood, but stop. Yeah, please. Okay, so I think that wraps us up for the Lost Projects. We've done a lot of ranking tonight on the uh, tried and tested five-point scale. Uh we are curious to know what you think, so please, uh, by all means, uh, leave leave some feedback. Go to arniegen.com and there's an opportunity to leave comments there. If we've missed something, if you're aware of a project that we haven't covered, or you think that the idea of us giving Crusade 5 out of 5 and Triplets 0 out of 5 is outrageous, let us know. Um, also, if you could, wherever you're downloading or streaming this podcast from, if you can, leave us a rating uh it does a, a lot to get us out there and to get our podcast out to more people for sure now tony what are we doing next time next time we're doing sabotage which i'll confess i actually haven't seen yet so i'm eager to to go in and take a look i think the trailer looks awesome although i know the reviews have been horrible but we'll see how that goes cool david ayer joined okay so you can also find us on twitter at arnie pod you can find me on Twitter at Cam V is in very sad crusade didn't get made Smith. Yeah, you can also find us on our website uh, com if you want to download direct from the source. Uh, and you can find me, Tony G, <laughs> Tony like the name, G like the letter G at com. Okay, so we'll be back with Sabotage.